Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and as always, my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We got the spring game coming up this weekend, Robbie. How psyched are you to not watch it? Well, um, I thought, you know, why don't we just get right into my cheers? Because it might be, uh, those might be interrelated. So spring game is coming up. So cheers to that. Uh, I try and keep things positive. I'm not going to uh, on this cheers for the first time since the podcast came out. I'm fed up with it. It's stupid. Uh, the spring game is not televised. I made it clear in, uh, on Twitter and otherwise that I was campaigning against our not televising spring game uh, because it's stupid. It you know, hurts the fan base and it doesn't really give away much whatsoever to people considering how much difficulty we have and other people have that actually do analysis on it of really pulling any, I don't know, any real thoughts away from what we see in the spring game other than, you know, hyperbole or, you know, things that we are just guessing at. So it's dumb, but it, um, I think it's not great for the fan base, for the donors, people that give to the program that want to, you know, get a little taste of football and may not be able to make the trip, um, which can be a long one for people you know, for any number of reasons. So, um, cheers to another stupid year of not, uh, televising the spring game. Congrats. Cheers. <clears throat> it is unfortunate that <clears throat> for whatever reason, Fuente has decided to not have it televised and not really play a game. They have a scoring system where they, you know, give points to the defense and whatnot. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be like this year. I'm assuming it's going to be the same thing. And we've had so many guys injured the last two spring games that it really has been, I don't know, a glorified practice. But it's it's pretty much my only gripe with him this this entire time he's been at Tech. Everything he's done pretty much exactly right. I feel like it would be beneficial to everyone that loves Tech and would just be you know better PR for the program to have it on TV or at least give us a little something more. Uh, but. Regardless, this is the way that it is. So we're going to do this podcast, uh, kind of a spring game preview, uh, with the best information we could get. Uh, So we'll go from there. Let's start with our news and notes. Uh, We lost our first game of the NCAA tournament. We haven't had a podcast since that ended, and I'm sure all the Tech fans watched it. We previewed it on our last podcast, but we did lose to Alabama. The game sucked, kind of. I mean, it was exciting in the first half, and then... It slowed down a bit in the second half, and then the calls and Blackshear fouling out in a miserable fashion. It, it just wasn't great. Yeah, it was relatively painful to watch. Uh, you know, I, I guess all we can take about away from it is, you know, I, we made the tournament, and you know, I'm right. happy about it. <laughs> That's I, I'm trying, don't want to be too down on it. Um, yeah, on a positive note, and you know, we may hit on this in a second, but I, I think we have a lot coming back next year. Um, I don't think this was the end all be all. We could have lost to a 16 seed, that would have been bad. <laughs> That's uh, true, that would have been a lot worse. Uh, so well, then I guess it would have meant that we were a one seed. So I don't know, I can take that either way. And uh, it was not, it was not a great game, and it did slow down a ton, it, it was painful. I was really hoping that they would have played better. I thought that uh, given it was the second year in the tournament that we would have been more prepared and played a better game than we did, quite honestly. But, you know, let's hope let's hope to next year getting better. We have uh, bring a lot back. 
Agreed, man. And I will say this, Tony Bennett, one coach of the year. Uh, I guess that's obviously a regular season award because UVA did bow out in, in round one. Um, but in year four of Bennett, UVA did not make the tournament. And they had made it in year three, but not year four. And Buzz has now made it in year three and four. So we will hang our hat in the fact that we made the tournament. And this team did overcome a lot. They had, there was a stretches in the season where we thought they were dead. And they kept fighting and fighting and went on a little win streak. And uh, they got in. And next year is set up to be what could be a very special year. So we'll we'll talk about that at some point over the summer. But a lot's coming back for this team. And Ty Outlaw was just cleared. So that's going to be huge. Got a six-year of eligibility. A shooter that we will definitely utilize next season. Made big news, uh, I guess this was two weeks ago now, was that Michigan canceled the home-and-home home we had with them in 2020 and 2021 and they're going to pay Virginia Tech $375,000 to get out of that contract. Uh, this kind of had two different reactions. Uh, what was your reaction to this news? Uh, I I'm I have a severe disdain for Harbaugh, so not great. And uh, I would pay $375,000 to see him get beat up in like a parking lot. He just annoys the hell out of me. So uh, the money doesn't really mean much. Uh, Those seasons uh, were actually stacked to be like really good uh, Virginia Tech uh, opponent seasons between the Big Ten opponents and who were playing. I think we have uh, Notre Dame one of those years. So uh, I was disappointed depending on what we fill that slot with it may end up being beneficial but those those could have been really good years especially for how tenured harbaugh if he sticks around and if he stays around or he's kept for that long uh you would have had potentially fuente and harbaugh hitting like their serious stride in their programs at the same time and it could have been thought really impactful yeah so some people were saying you know michigan's ducking us and we want to play a team like that, but you're right. The schedules were so stacked. Uh, we had Penn State in 2020 already, and Notre Dame and West Virginia in 2021. Michigan has their own problems with their schedule. That's why they had to cancel the series. They already had Washington in 2021 at a conference, and then they pulled both Nebraska and Wisconsin from the other division. And of course, their division has Penn State and Michigan State and Ohio State. So they they were screwed, and they're still screwed kind of in 2021. That schedule is absolutely brutal. So for me, though, I don't want to play hardball. That team's really good. Uh, if I would play them if it was our only big game of the season, but we do already have Penn State in the one year, which is going to be great. It's in Blacksburg. And then we get Notre Dame and West Virginia the next year. I don't need to add Michigan to that. I don't want to, those are three potential losses instead of two. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you, but getting a home game against Michigan, look how excited the fan base is. The, the Beamer tickets that they just put out that had Notre Dame on there sold out in what, three days or whatever. It was called the Beamer pass because it had Notre Dame on there. The fact is we want this program to come big time and you don't become big time by being scared of your schedule. And in fact, strength of schedule gives you a chance to take that one loss, potentially two losses or, and still be in a conversation for the playoff, depending on what year it is. So I, I hear you. The schedule would be tough. There's no doubt about that. But 
I would love to have Michigan in our house, and I would love to take a trip to the big house. Of course, and as much of as course. I don't like Carbaugh, so that would have been that would have been fun. And I'm thinking more about the program and what you know, elevating the program than I'm thinking about anything else. Yeah, you walk the fine line between incurring multiple losses and building on that strength of schedule. And yes, you want to put out something that the committee is going to look at favorably. But if you lose two or three games, <laughs> they can only look at you so favorably. So, yeah, down the road, I'd love to play in the big house or have them in our house if it was the main big game of that season. But as it turns out, we get paid to get out of it. We already got good you know, teams on the schedule. So it'll work out, I think, for everyone, and we get a little money out of it. So uh, The next thing I had was the ACC championship game is in Charlotte through 2030 now, which is great for tech because it's only about a three four hour drive from blacksburg maybe four to five from northern virginia uh the one year we did make it recently they moved at the last minute due to some political stuff uh, which is kind of unfortunate because it got moved to orlando but it's nice that it will be in charlotte for the foreseeable future yeah i think it's uh, a good place for um it to take place and let's just hope that all the political junk stays out of it is that a guarantee? Is that guaranteed that they can't pull out of it, or is it this is where we're planning to have it for through through that period? I don't know that if if they I could pull either. out. I just know they made the deal to the yeah. deal, quote unquote. I hope it, it stays there, and I hope you know, no, there's no BS stuff that kind of intervenes with it. That on either side, whatever your case may be, I don't really care as long as you know it's held there and it makes me happy. And I mean, Charlotte has great Hooters, so. that's true we uh we we spent some time there uh the last news and note i had was running back devin ford made a commitment date of may 18th he's a top virginia tech target he's a running back and anyone who's been following our running back history um and recruiting history knows how bad we want an elite playmaker like this guy he's 73rd overall in the 247 composite for next year and he's taking an official visit to Tech this weekend for the spring game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he is... A, it, we've already been talking about him for, what, probably a year and a half At already? It, maybe two years? Uh, he is a big-time, big-time recruit that we... I, I wouldn't say it's a must-get, but I would put it pretty far up there that the fan base is going to be extremely disappointed been showing him love for a long time and he seems to be favorable to the Hokies but we've yeah. I'm not I, I can't get too excited about guys there's like a couple other a, big time schools in play including Penn State and Ohio State he has other official visits scheduled for them as well I think we're getting the first official visit and May 18th you know is pretty early for a big time recruit a lot of times these commitments are you'll see them get pushed back. <laughs> the date will all of a sudden the kid will be getting to, you know, May 16th or so. And he's like, you know what? I don't think I'm ready yet. And we'll see it pushed back into June. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if it does. Cause these big time guys, you don't normally see them select a school this early. Yeah, no, that's true. And there's a little bit of a There's a little bit of a monkey wrench given the early signing period, which is, you know, whatever the numbers are 75% of players are going there now. Um, much fewer of those are the top recruits. Uh, obviously it's have more heavily weighted towards 
uh, the lower end guys that a lot of them are recruiting in the early signing period. So that may have a little bit of influence, but it's extremely early. Anyway, you cut it. Usually they're towards the end in the last kind of month. Um, if that, if not carrying it all the way to signing day. There's one more thing. Jalen Holston, the freshman running back from last year, uh, he has now been cleared to play in spring as well. So I, I talked about Ty Outlaw getting cleared for his sixth year of eligibility. Holston was dealing with an injury through spring and wasn't a full participant. He is now, and that's good for our running back depth, and I uh, just thought it was worthy of a note. So before we have a special guest, Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm having a beer that we've had on the podcast. Uh, I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been busy as of late, uh, trying to get uh, a few things in order, uh, new job, all that kind of stuff. So I had to go with uh, one of my one of my favorites that I've had on the podcast, which is the breakfast stout, double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout from Founders Brewing, out of Michigan. Uh, I think it's Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I love this beer. It's it's heavy. Um, it's definitely more, you can do like kind of a breakfast beer. If you want to skip coffee, you just heat it up and it'll probably have that intensity of, uh, you know, a, a really it'll dark roast. <laughs> yeah. A really dark roast and, uh, has your added benefit of having a little bit of boost to it, but I love it. It's got a ton of flavor and, uh, it only comes in four packs, but, um, the beer's delicious. How about you? What are you drinking? I'm drinking the shoe gaze from Stillwater Artisanal Brewing. Stillwater Artisanal, I think, started in Baltimore, or at least the main brewers from Baltimore. And now they are distributing out of Connecticut or Brooklyn or, or both. I'm not exactly sure. But this shoegaze is a Saison Distorted Farmhouse Pale Ale, as it's described. And I think it's uh, 6% alcohol, which I feel like is a lot for a Saison. Uh, it's really, really good. It's like you can see I'm showing Robbie right now. It's kind of like bright gold, yeah. And it's it's pretty excellent. Uh, I had never heard of this. My buddy came up here. He bought a four pack and left it in my fridge. So that always works out well. Thanks, Phil. Uh, but this this shoegaze uh, saison is excellent. I would I would recommend it. Stillwater shoegaze. Love it. All right, let's give our guest a call. We are happy to once again welcome in Jonathan French to the podcast. French is a, the number one X's and O's guy, or at least in my heart anyway, over at the Key Play. And uh, we're so happy to have him again. We want to ask him some questions about what's been going on in spring practice, what he's seeing or hearing. And uh, French, thanks again for coming on. Always glad to join you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. I'd like to start out front with the offensive line. Kyle Chung was granted the sixth year of eligibility, which should be huge since we already lost Wyatt Teller and Alec, Eric Gallo as starters. And as well as Parker Osterlaw as a key backup. And it seems like Chung's going to move to center from right tackle to replace Gallo. We'll have Yosh Nijman and Braxton Pfaff returning as well. I wanted to know from you, like, how you see that line filling out. And are there any guys you think could make waves before our opener next year? Well, I, I think that you know, Vance Vice has recruited a specific way now for a couple of cycles, and I think you're starting to see dividends. I mean, it was clear that they weren't going to necessarily be able to recruit on a national level and bring in four- and five-star players right off the bat, especially at a school that historically has not uh, produced great offensive linemen. So they've 
they, they've developed an archetype and they have recruited guys who may not necessarily fit a uh, four-star, five-star profile, but they have certain key attributes. They're long, they're athletic, they have a frame where they can carry additional weight, um, and, and you're hopeful that they will have the motor and the capacity to learn. And I think what you've seen this spring, um, when we talked about previewing the season on the key play or previewing the spring, I thought maybe T.J. Jackson was that guy who could uh, step forward, and they moved him over to right tackle and you know, gave him an opportunity uh, to, to, to get a look there as more of a prototype NFL size guy. And, you know, looking at the social media accounts, what little bit of information has been released, now you're seeing a pretty big shakeup shake where uh, Yosh Nijman, who's been well established at left tackle for a long time, is playing on the right side. And Silas uh, Donzi, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, uh, has been working as the first team left tackle. And on top of that, you've seen uh, Christian Darasau, who you know was essentially a, a, a very lightly regarded re- uh, recruit that went to FUMA for a year, is getting an opportunity on both the right and the left side as a backup. So you're seeing sort of these young, athletic, long uh, offensive tackles who a lot of us, and me included, labeled as projects and guys who were development, uh, potentially taking a big step forward. And I think that that's intriguing because when you look at their size profile, suddenly the offensive line is much bigger. Uh, the question is, are they meaner and, and can they move uh, Can they move some defensive lines out of the way and give these running backs a little room to run that they didn't have last year? Do you think that they would actually move Yosh over to right tackle and have Zansi start? Well, uh I actually think for Yosh, it's potentially a move that would make him more effective. Um, last year especially, but throughout his career, uh, he has put up some pretty good numbers as a pass protector, but he has a tendency to overset. And what I mean by overset is he tends to back off the line of scrimmage a significant amount right off the snap, and sometimes he tends to give up his inside a little early. That's his right leg and his right arm. And if you create a lane there, it, he loses leverage easily. And I, I think he struggled with that at different points last year against not so great teams. You know, Delaware particularly, he did not uh, play particularly well. Um, and the way he sets and the way that you see him in run blocking, it looks like his left arm in terms of where he positions it on the blocker and, and creates movement, his left arm and left leg seems to be maybe a little stronger. So a move over to right a move over to right tackle actually might benefit him, and I think if if you see him go on to have a long NFL career, it will most likely be on the right side. I don't think it would be on the left side. So for him personally, I think that you could see a lot of benefit. Now, for the coaching staff and trying to make the team better, I don't think you make that move unless you're saying that the combination of Donzi. And at left tackle and Nijman at right tackle is better than Nijman at left tackle and Tyrell Smith right. at right tackle, who was starting out taking uh, reps at right on the right side. So to me, I, I think that this is an indication that Donzi, who you know has a uh, bigger frame and 
you know, perhaps a little more athleticism than Tyrell does, uh, has taken a big step forward. And, you know, that's a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, he's not a guy I thought very highly of. I, I admit it, and I'm always happy to be wrong, but he certainly, uh, he certainly has raised some eyebrows. I just wish we had more video evidence to, yeah. to confirm the coach's instinct. Now, this may just be me, but I'm starting to like get a feeling that this offensive line next year could be pretty good. Do you think it will be Fuente's best offensive line unit? I think it's a little early to tell, but let's let's walk in position by position. So, you know, De- uh, DeAndre Planton was pretty solid at the end of last year. Uh, looks like he had a really good offseason strength and conditioning. I remember seeing on social media that he was one of the first players to get elevated from a white shirt to a maroon shirt, which means he had met some of the, the thresholds and some of the physical testing uh, early on during spring workouts. Uh, so, so, you know, that's always good to see. But I, I was a big Wyatt Teller guy. It's going to be hard for him to be as physically dominant at the point of attack as Teller. Um, but you look at left guard, or right guard Braxton Pfaff is the same player and a year older and wiser. And I thought he played much better at the end of last season than he was given credit for. Um, at the center spot, uh, I thought Eric Gallo was pretty good last year, but the year prior, uh, Kyle Chum had passed him by uh, and was earmarked to be the starting center. He just couldn't figure out the whole business of snapping the ball. So if he's snapping the ball, you have to think that that's possibly uh, an upgrade this year. And then you're looking at the offensive tackle spots. At the end of last year, you had you know, Planton playing out of position on the left side, along with Parker Osterloh, who, uh, God bless him, but he was should have been playing on, at guard, not at tackle. Uh, and then you had uh, uh, you had your big man over on the right side, and I apologize, my brain just cramped. Uh, but you're looking at a longer, more athletic group, and whether or not they're necessarily physically dominant, the potential is there for them to, you know, in that zone blocking scheme to get on blocks better, stay on blocks longer, and stretch the defense horizontally, and that could create some seams. So I think there's some questions, but the potential upside, I think, for this group is better than, than the potential upside from the starting group last year. Well, Jonathan, it's, it's Robert, and you transition, transitioned right into what I was going to go with, which is, um, tied into that, and that's uh, Fuente's comments about the running game and running backs. And, um, you know, his, his commentary is, um, I think, on point with what the fan base thought, but he mentions the explosive plays and the issues with finding explosive plays. And I think one of the keys is you have to kind of diagnose why that happened. He seems to have, have kind of pinned that on not making guys miss in the open field. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it was, you know, on the running backs in terms of not making people miss on the offensive line and, and trying and not making enough gaps or or not being as sound or perimeter blocking? I, I don't think that all on running backs is fair, um, but I certainly could argue that there were a lot of yards left on the field. And I, I flash back to, you know, what you said, what is the offense missing? If you go back to the West Virginia-Virginia Tech game, there was a play where Justin Crawford got the ball on a a zone run and Mook Reynolds was up at the line of scrimmage in perfect position to tackle him. 
and Crawford just blew by him and and got a pretty substantial gain after that. Again, that's not a knock on Je- on Mook. It was you know a great running back making a guy miss. If you go back and you watch that play, every other gaps accounted for the defense that Bud Foster runs work correctly. Your one unblocked player is a, a free hitter who's designed to be up in the line of scrimmage in a manage, manageable space and needs to make the tackle. Um, I think that really since David Wilson graduated, you have not seen the Virginia Tech running back in that situation able to consistently, and I say consistently, win that one-on-one battle with uh, an unblocked defender in the hole. And Fuente's offense, which is predicated almost entirely on misdirection, on causing a defender to run out of position and trick them, um, you know, you're going to have situations where if the play doesn't trick uh, the defender, then you're going to have an unblocked defender unaccounted for. So your running backs, if you want them to be consistent, big play guys, they have to, have to, with some level of consistency, be able to run over or run around an unblocked defender. And it it didn't happen nearly often enough last year. Uh, I don't think it was for a lack of effort. I mean, you saw games where I, I popped for Stephen Peoples getting a six-yard run where he ran over somebody. But when I went back and watched the film, I thought to myself, you know what, Ryan Williams would have gotten 20 on that. And that's not a knock on Stephen Peoples, but – that 20 yards is what keeps you from having to go 10, 12 plays over and over and over again. And they're college kids. They're going to make mistakes. So you mm-hmm. have to get those big plays and break things down. So I, I thought that that was a fair assessment by uh, Fuente. I still think that, you know, I thought that the, the run game blocking last year, especially towards the end of the year, was pretty good. Um, I think that the wide receiver blocking last year, at moments would be great and then would be abysmal within two breaths later. And, you know, the tight end position was inconsistent up until the bowl game where, my God, uh, Dalton Keene and Chris Cunningham were fantastic. Uh, I don't know if that story has gotten enough play. They were, if you go back and you watch the bowl game, probably 85 or 90% of the yards that Virginia Tech got were off of a series where they lined up in two tight ends and ran uh, ran inside zones at the two tight ends. And that's because Chris Cunningham and Dalton King were blocking defensive ends and defensive tackles one-on-one and beating them. So, you know, hopefully they can continue that. But, it, you know, the running backs really are the, the position that needs to step forward. And, you know, I liked what I saw from McLeese at the end of the year, and he had a little bit of that wiggle, and he was making some guys miss. Can he add that physical element to – to his motor and to his wiggle that, that makes him be able to do it consistently against top defenders. I think that's a big question. Yeah, you kind of answered a question I had for you. Is just how do you feel about the mm-hmm. returning running backs? And I would agree that McLeese seemed to improve uh, quite a bit as the year went along. I thought Holston uh, played better as the year went along and even in the bowl game made a play or two to make a guy miss. Um, and I'm not going to put everything on Trayvon McMillan, but he was one of the the worst offenders of that not making a guy miss. Um, and he's no longer with us. Now, he had speed to burn, but if, if you can't make someone miss, you're not going to get too many yards. Yeah, he was he was always suited towards a, a little bit of a different offense. If you put him in, 
you know, a collegiate version of a wing T. I think Trayvon McMillan would have been a consistently really good player. And that's the type of plays he had success with under, under Leffler. So, you know, I think that there's some, some issue there with the other guys, you know, like I said, with McLeese, I think he's the most naturally gifted runner of the guys we've seen consistently. Um, he has wiggle. His, his size is always going to be made an issue. But it, to me, you know, if a running back understands how to play the position and, and keeps his legs going and has some wiggle, they can always be good. Uh, you know, like a Mike Hart at Michigan was not particularly a physically imposing guy, but he could play. So I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. Um, McLeese, if he wants to stay on the field, he's got a block back. He was pretty much abysmal in pass blocking uh, last year, and that's why you didn't see him in the game in a lot of those situations. Uh, Stephen Peoples is, you know, really tough and a good blocker, a really good blocker, and he's probably, you know, if there's a three, if you need three yards, he'll get you three and a half, and if you need six yards, he'll get you three and a half. So. Uh, Holston, I think, is kind of the, the mix of the two, but I, he showed a little bit of wiggle at times, but he looked a little apprehensive. And, you know, of course, there's uh, uh, Tyrone Wheatley's son uh, who's getting a full spring in now, and it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the table. Agreed. I, I, we do have some options there. So I, I kind of I like where we're at running back going forward. I definitely wouldn't mind getting that Devin Ford commitment in a month. Uh, and we'll uh, we can talk. Oh, about God, it. You're, you're not kidding. <laughs> right. I, I think a few, few people. I wrote, it on the, I wrote it. I wrote it on the key play. If he's healthy and Ricky Slade's healthy, they won't have comparable careers. I, I think Devin Ford is a significantly more tantalizing prospect. Uh, than Ricky Slade was. So if, if they can land that, then that makes a lot of some misses in running back recruiting go away really, really quickly. All right, let's flip over to defense. Linebacker is uh, the most influx of any of our position groups. Dylan Rivers will do his best to replace Tremaine Edmonds, and it seems like Rashard Ashby has been tapped to be the new Mike. Blue chipper Devin Hunter has moved to whip slash nickel this spring, which is an interesting move for him. How hard will it be for this young group to implement all the things Bud likes to do with his linebackers? It's, I mean, there's there's going to be a learning curve, and I think folks, uh, you know, not only are they inexperienced, but you've got the double whammy in that you don't have, uh, you no longer have a 330-pound space-eating, gap-filling defensive tackle monster eating up blocks that gives you free room, room to run. So, you know, there are going to be some, some adjustments at the same time you take away Tremaine Edmonds and this is the most physically gifted group of linebackers we've seen at Virginia Tech since Ben Hall and Xavier Deby and that wow. doesn't include Dak Polyfield who's on his way I I think that this is a, a really really good group I Rayshard Ashby uh you know he's kind of been slept on until folks declared him as uh, or until Bud Foster declared him as the, the starter or likely starter in the spring. I, I think folks slept on him because he's a little bit of a weird body type. He's not really tall. He's kind of a fire plug. You know, take his helmet off, he looks a little bit like Popeye Jones. Uh, but that kid was as natural a tackler from A-gap to A-gap as just about anybody that I've watched on film the last two years. And kind of uh, you know, had some worries about his sideline to sideline speed and 
his ability to drop into coverage, but that's not really that important at the Mike position. Uh, and then you have the exact opposite of Ashby and, and uh, Rico Kearney, who's you know a little slimmer in his frame, taller, more athletic, and he's not necessarily a guy who's going to get down and get underneath running backs as they come through the A-back, uh, A-gap, but he can run for days. And he has some energy and excitement to him that, you know, I really, really liked him on film. And he's the antithesis of what we've expected from the Mike position for a long time. But that's, you know, that's where he's playing at. You go over to the backer side, uh, the Griffin kid, who's huge, he's defensive in size. He might weigh more than Tremaine did last year. Uh, you know, he's the backup right now, but he played his entire high school career pretty much with the responsibilities of the whip linebacker in Foster's defense. He was out on the edge. He was open in space. He was asked to be a free hitter, and he was, you know, he was really good at it. So he's athletic, and he can move. Um, and then you've got Dylan Rivers, who I, I really appreciated that recruiting get. I think that he has a heavy shoulder. He's a guy who's perfectly built to play that backer position. He can line up, you know, people forget Tremaine Edmonds struggled at backer when he was asked to just line up as a linebacker. He initially, they had to put him up at the line of scrimmage a bunch and simplify the game for him before he was good. I think that Rivers is going to be a little more naturally comfortable back there at the backer position, but he still has a, a heavy shoulder, so you can put him up there in a bare front and he can line up as a nine technique and seal the edge. Uh, I think that that group of four is really, really good. And Dak Hollyfield, uh, you know, he's the, the rumors are that he spent a ton of time. We've seen a lot of social media posts of him being on campus during spring practice. Uh, he played in the exact same defense in high school. And I, I had some apprehensions about him when watching him in the Shrine game uh, is the North Carolina All-Stars weren't playing the same defensive system. And uh, he he looked a little uncomfortable and took some bad angles that kind of red flagged. Then he was in the Army All-American game, and he looked spectacular. So I think with Hollyfield, you see someone who has that ability, A-gap to A-gap, to be physical and stick running backs. And at the same time, he's you know athletic like a Kearney and like a, a rivers where he can you know he can move around and and today spread offenses where you need guys who can cover more than one gap at a time you know he can fill his assignment and then go play football so there's a lot of intriguing options there you just have to realize that there there's going to be a learning curve and every guy's going to have a, a different period of time to develop but it sounds like some kids are coming along it really does and with tisdale and dax and artists and Griffin and Kearney, like you mentioned, along with Rivers and Ashby, uh, the upside of this linebacking core for the next three to four years is extremely exciting. Um, and we might take some lumps this year, but in terms of like immediate returns, it, you kind of made it sound like this could be a shorter tackling and a more instinctive group immediately than even Tremaine and Motu were. I, I think that when you talk about tackling in space, this group could be really, really good. Ashby was you know, excellent on special teams last year, so you know he, he can you know he can tackle. Uh, Rivers was good on special teams last year. All of these guys are are athletic; they can move around. And 
interestingly, there's not a whole lot of redundancy. You, I, you know, I didn't even mention Keyshawn Artis and Tisdale. You know, complete Artis is likely a Mike linebacker, but he's much more a heavy-shouldered, a gap to a gap kind of guy. And Tisdale, I I don't even know how to describe him. He could, you know, in, in the All Star game, some of the time he was playing as the free safety lining up about 10 yards behind Dax, and at other times he was up on the line of scrimmage, you know, like a, a whip blitzing off the edge. And it's hard to tell what he's going to grow into. He could play every position from rover to whip to backer. It's hard to tell. I think he ends up at the backer. And of, of the lot, um, you know, that Shrine Bowl game had Dax, had uh, Tisdale, and had D.J. Crossan. Of all the freshman that I saw where I got to see him play a whole game that wasn't just highlights. I thought he was the most impressive recruit in the class. He just had talking about crossing. He doesn't he, no, uh, I'm sorry, Tisdale. Okay. Tisdale was the one. And he just it blew my mind how it looked so it, it almost looked like he wasn't even trying and then he's at the ball. And he was just always around the ball and he's a great blitzer. He he's one of those guys like Imagine Alonzo Tweedy, but with terrific football sense. He's just one of those guys who he, he is. He just has a weird. You watch him, and he doesn't fit any kind of traditional position. You think think about with today's college football, and yet Bud Foster will find a way to make to put him near the ball, and he's going to be a player. I'm really excited about this. So it's like Tweedy, but he knows it's whip. <laughs> Yeah, well, there, there you go. Only uh, difference is he might be 40 pounds bigger by the time it's all over with. Well, we're going to make a transition to DB here uh, before we let you go. And if Devin Hunter were to show himself worthy at whip, could you see them maybe moving Mook to cornerback since we're kind of short there right now? Or is Mook just absolutely going to be the starter at nickel slash whip and, and Hunter's just competing for a backup? I was curious as to your thoughts on that. Well, it, it, purely based on what I've seen, I would assume that Mook would be back as a starter. However, this move, coupled with all the constant talk, probably has a purpose. Whether that purpose is to you know light a fire under Mook for whatever reason, I I don't know what his status is. Although I, I know I certainly haven't been seeing him on. Uh, spring practice films, and I think he, I think he's recovering from an injury, so it may not be uh, part of it. But you know, if, if Hunter's capable, they've got to figure out a way to get him on the field. And I don't say that lightly. You know, I, I want the best players to play. So just because Holland Fisher was a four star and Chuck Clark was a three, if Chuck Clark's better day in and day out practice, you know, he's the guy who plays. But it sounds like that, and you know, Hunter's and featured in some of the social media highlights that's making plays, that he's going to find a way to get on the field this year, that the light has, you know, turned on and, you know, as long as he's healthy, they've got to figure out a way to make him play. I, I think especially given some of the question marks at corner, they just have to figure out a way to take those three positions, rover and free safety and whip, and get the three best guys on the field. And, you know, I think that that could, we don't know, Divine Diablo apparently is hurt. Um, there's been reports that uh, he's re-injured his foot, although there's no indication of how severe it is. 
uh, you know, Reggie Floyd had a good year last year, but it's, I don't think I'm being unfair in saying that, uh, he's not the best man to man cover guy that you've got. Uh, you know, that there, there are a lot of potential for moving pieces and you've got to figure out how to get your three best guys on the field at that position because you're, you're so inexperienced at the corner spot, uh, where in the past you could, you know, lean heavily on those three veteran corners, uh, that, that they had last year. And you could take a lot of pressure off the unsafeties from a coverage responsibility standpoint. <laughs> that was that was the question. I mean, with that the Hunter move, with Farley, with the comments to about Adonis, um, with Diablo potentially re-injured, there's just a lot of um, there. There may be more, uh, I guess, new players at the linebacker spot. It seems like there is nobody has really any clue how things are going to shake out in the defensive backs, um, which I think we all have confidence that we, we normally piece something together that's at least serviceable, if not you know pretty talented. But um, I'm not sure anybody has a good peg on, on how that's going to shake out in that, in that area. There's a ton of mystery. And, I mean, when you add in the comments that Puente made the other day kind of, talking about how Adonis had Adonis Alexander had some things he needed to get straight and being complimentary of the young corners and you're just kind of scratching your head going, you know, is there is there more going on here than we realize? But you know the corner position is so up in the air that uh, you know, the safety spot at least they have experienced bodies. Now if you know, when I got to see Mook play at free safety against Georgia Tech and Pitt. Uh, I would say he needs to be at whip, and you figure out how to get Devon at. Uh, you figure out how to get Devon at, at, at Rover at free safety because uh, Mook did not look comfortable at the free safety spot, and um, you know ultimately I think he's probably best suited for the whip position. I know some folks have said, "Well, he didn't have a great year tackling," and. I disagree with that. He, he missed a couple of big tackles, and I think that they were high-profile enough that folks have uh, exaggerated um, his lack of tackling proudness. I think he's been pretty, really, really good over his career. So, you know, he, I think he's probably better suited for there. I Honestly, if Robbie and D, if you put a gun to my head at the beginning of spring practice and said, if Devon Hunter plays, where is he going to play? I would have said he beat out Reggie Floyd at Roper. Okay. I really, I really thought that that was that was the spot where a guy might have been in trouble. I thought Diablo was spectacular. Um, probably should have been playing ahead of uh, Terrell Edmonds at the free safety spot. I thought they were much better when he was at free safety and Terrell was at Rover. Uh, before the injury started to happen. I thought that that was their best combination in the back end. And if Devon could have brought some of that coverage ability to the to the rover spot, then maybe you'd see Floyd kind of transition and become that jack linebacker like Anthony Chicago was. Because he's, I think they reported he had gotten up to 225 pounds or something like that at the beginning of spring practice. So he, he's, you know, he's big for a rover in this day and age with spread offenses. I feel comfortable about the safety positions because we do have options. This Ladler's in there as well, and he he played okay at the end of last year. 
Floyd is decent, um, although he might lack a little bit of coverage skills, like you said. I feel okay about safety. I'm a little bit more concerned about corner. I guess Fuente is too because they're keeping Caleb Farley there, and I think everyone in Tech Nation wanted uh, wanted him to play offense just because it's a little bit more exciting for the fans, and he kind of dazzled people last year in the spring game. Uh, what do you think about his future in particular in terms of Farley and whether Fuente will ever kind of put him back on offense at some point? Well, I, I hope Coach Fuente doesn't listen to the podcast. Well, I, I hope he does listen to you guys, but hopefully he tunes this part out. Uh, I, If there was one decision that I disagree with him on more than any other that I've seen since Coach Fuente took over in Blacksburg, uh, it was moving Farley back to defense. And there are a couple reasons, and they may have seen him be spectacular last spring. I don't know. We weren't privy to it. Here's what I did see. I saw an offensive player who knows so little of the playbook that he had a coach standing behind him on the field during the spring game telling him what to do, and he caught multiple deep balls. He threw pass interference penalties. You know, Fuente said in the the post conference when they talked or press conference when they talked about moving him back to defense. Oh well, he was beating some walk on guys. That is not true. <laughs> the, at yeah. the spring game, uh, the last catch was, but uh, the the catch from Hooker on the uh, on the far sideline. Um, there was another deep ball. Those were both over Brandon face on. He drew a couple of pass interference penalties. I think the only time that he really was not a factor in a play where he was targeted was uh, a ball where I think Josh Jackson read it as man coverage and Adonis dropped off into a deep zone, ended up being a jump ball and Adonis knocked it away. But I saw a guy who could get vertical, who could go up and and had the ball skills to take a ball away. And in this offense where so much of that is just put the ball up there and one-on-one and, you know, have, have your receiver try to pull the ball down, you know, like the game play that ended up not going our way against Georgia Tech that would have given us the win. And a right throw, right call, uh, you know, freshman corner against your best wide receiver and the throw ends up not being on the mark and the receiver can't bring it down. Farley's the guy who could bring that ball down. And then you add in that he's coming off a knee injury and, you know, I'm not a physical therapist or an orthopedic surgeon, but I can't imagine that that being a cornerback is less stressful on a knee uh, than being a wide receiver. He may end up being Deion Sanders. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to see him play one rep of corner in high school. I haven't seen him play one rep of of corner at Virginia Tech. And as best as I can tell, he's he's not in the too deep right now. They've they've had him limited, and I don't think I've seen him uh, on any of the social media stuff. So, uh, I don't know how, if he's not in the too deep by the end of the spring game, how you can't move him back to wide receiver uh, unless they saw something that is just boggles the mind from last spring and they think he can get back there. Yeah, for a team that was pretty void of playmakers last year outside of Cam Phillips, uh, it's just a shocking move because that guy just seems like he could make some plays. But like you said, it, it – could completely switch gears at the end of spring or in fall or a year down the road. We just don't know yet. But uh, I loved his potential just from the high school film. I know you did too. Yeah, he's he's a unique, 
program-changing caliber athlete. Uh, whether or not that ends up translating to football success, who knows? But he could be a very, very special player. And you know, if that ends up being a corner, I, I will admit that I, I will eat all the crow that folks want to hand me. But I know what I saw with my eyes there, just in that one spring game, and that's just not something that they have other guys who can replicate. And you know. Even as a part-time weapon, my goodness, the difference it can make to take a top off the defense and keep those safeties deep, and then that makes everything in your running game that much better. Well, French, I've really been enjoying your pieces on the key play with regard to the incoming guys that you've been doing. Some of that content we covered here, but the play breakdowns that you showed with artists in Hollifield and Tisdale were were tremendous. So make sure uh, everyone out there to check out French's pieces on the uh, on the key play. Uh, they've been really, really good. We'll have you on again soon, maybe uh, sometime uh, beginning of next year or so. We'll talk some FSU or something. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Everyone have a great summer. Have a good one. Bye, French. Well, as usual, French gave us a lot to unpack there, uh, always bringing the information for us and some good insights on offensive line, linebacker. Um, I have to admit, sometimes French scares me. Other times he gets me excited. I feel like I left that conversation a little bit more excited than scared. <laughs> yes. I, I left more excited about linebacker. Uh, I feel good about offensive line, and I have no idea what's going to happen at corner. So that's that's how I concluded the, uh, the, the positions that I thought. At running back, I, I think we know what we have going into it. Um, and we'll see what those guys perform on field. So no no real surprises on that front. Um, but I would agree. I, I feel more positive, even given the limited information that we have. So if you could decide what you want to see in the spring game, not everyone can play well because you, you're playing against your own team. So if someone looks good, someone else is going to inherently look bad. But what would you want to see most in the spring game, if you off the top of your head here, um, what would I want to see most? So, I think linebacker and running back are sort of tied together in in a lot of respects. So, if to your point, if one's playing well, the other one's probably not playing as well, or at least the upside that we're hearing from French maybe not as existent, or the running backs just all of a sudden became behemoths of the game that we didn't see otherwise in putting out big plays, which seems to be the draw there. So for me, I would like to see among a a consistent first team uh, in the defensive backs and them playing decent. Uh, That's really what I want to see. If if we're rotating people in between positions uh, all over the place and we have as as little certainty uh, at corner Going coming out of the spring game as we do going in, then that's going to concern me. So that that's a position I would want to see play well. Even though, to your point, that means that we may be having some trouble at the QB and, yeah, and cornerback see, or I'm the, the exact wide receiver. Opposite, because I want to see Josh Jackson have a 2017 Hendon Hooker like spring game. Because I think last year didn't Hooker go like 10 of 11 or something on the day, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, this kid's going to be amazing." And I he may seven of eleven. Yeah, he may, he may be. He may be amazing. <laughs> um, but I'd like to see Jackson have a really great day. Uh, he seems like he's going to be the starter 
day one. Uh, I don't think it's much of a competition with the guys currently there. We don't know what's going to happen when Quincy Patterson comes in, but if I'm a betting man, I'm betting the mortgage that Josh Jackson is going to be starting against Florida State. And I'd like to see him play well. I mean, that would alleviate some of my concerns about his development for next year. Somebody is going to have to make up a lot of ground to take down Josh Jackson from being the starting quarterback. And that's from a trust factor. That's from a knowing the offense factor. What's trying to you're trying to accomplish? What's important to to Fuente and Brad in terms of protecting the football? You that is a mountain to climb, especially if you're talking about QP coming in and trying to t- do it in that short amount of time. I would be blown away if that were even a possibility. So um, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt uh, regardless uh, of what happens because there's a trust factor there that he knows what's what needs to happen when the ball gets snapped in the first game or the second game or the third game of the year. I guess I'd also like to see the wide receivers make some plays, but more so the running backs make some plays. We went over it with French and uh, I, I like the three guys we have. That three-headed monster, um, which was included McMillan last year, well, he'll be replaced by Holston, and it will be Holston, McLeese, and Peoples. And I think that can be very effective. You've got three different styles, three different you know size of guys, and the things they do are very different. So I'd like to see a couple big plays from the running backs, and I'd also like to at least see if uh, guys get yards, yardage and chunks. I want to see the young guys tackle and, like, a lot of good tackling. I don't want to see arm tackles and like going for big hits and missing short tackling from the young, you know, linebacker and core and whoever else is back there and some plays by our, uh, our running backs. That's kind of what I'm really looking to see this weekend. And not that I'm going to see any of it. I was trying to get down for the spring game, but um, I'm not going to make it, but whatever I read after the game, I'm hoping we hear some, you know, some Caleb Farley, like tales of the spring game, like last year. <laughs> Well, that's where I was going to go. What I would like to see at the spring game is any of the spring game. So that <laughs> that would be a perfect start to, um, you know, as somebody that maybe you know does a podcast for their day, but also works a full time job and you know has a family and a eight month old daughter at home that you know I can't exactly drive the four hours on a Saturday to go see a game. So you know maybe put it on TV if you're not a moron. <laughs> and that is our last bash of the spring game. Uh, we will enjoy the coverage. I'm, at least the reporters will be able to watch and the fans will be able to watch whatever happens. And uh, we'll probably recap it in the weeks to come, maybe next week, maybe the week after, just talking about final updates uh, leading into the summer. And uh, as always, over the summer, we'll be, we'll be doing our uh, our summer previews of the upcoming schedule and a number of other things. But make sure to stay tuned to the podcast because we will be doing some stuff uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, leading up to you know summer ball and then fall ball so uh, i uh i wish we knew more but that was fun talking to french it really was uh he's always a great guest that's going to do it for today's episode uh make sure to hit us on twitter it's at 2dvt 2dvt.com is the website and write us a review on apple Podcasts if you have a chance we've gotten a bunch uh, I think we're over 50, maybe 55 now. Uh, so thanks to everyone who did that for us. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And um, 
I think that's it. Until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.